You open up a Best Buy catalog and you can get a plasma TV. It's about 4000 bucks. And if you get a plasma TV, it doesn't even have uh, a speaker with it. it. What you really need to do is you need to get a stereo system to go with that. You need to have amplifiers. Some of you that are really in electronics, you know, you understand what I'm talking about. You know, all that plasma TV is a great big screen. I saw some of those great big screens up on Broadway when Mary and I were staying up there a week and a half ago. And, and as I walked down Broadway, when I was a kid, you know, they had all these little dinky lights, you know, those little old-time theater lights, you know. And my mom used to walk me when I got bored with my dad preaching. So the Lord made me a preacher to, you know, for me to have to pay back all the time. I thought my dad was boring. And uh, my mom used to walk me up and down Broadway, and I saw all those little twinking lights. And when I was there with Mary, uh, walking up and down Broadway, I was amazed by communication. I mean, it's like living in a video world. I mean, these gigantic screens. I mean, like, uh, probably 250 feet, you know, and uh, high. Unbelievable. Just dominating this whole area. And thousands of people that are there. But the other question I asked was, Mary and I sat eating some New York pizza and looking at it, all those people from all over the world, hearing German, hearing Italian, hearing French, you know, hearing different African languages, hearing a little bit of English mixed in every once in a while. But you watch all those people going by, you ask, how many of those people are really communicating? You see, we live in an era, an, an era where communication has never been more uh, powerful and where people pay $2 million just for 30 seconds to advertise in the last uh, Friends TV show, for example. But the issue about communication is we've got all this electronic stuff. Right in our homes, we have all that stuff. Some of you, some of you people have a special media room in your house. And you're dreaming about, you know, making like a home theater. And some of you have that. And, and it's all about communication. But the, the thing that really strikes me... And that in this age with all the high-tech stuff, when it comes to asking the question, are you really communicating? Are you really communicating? And are people really communicating with you? I think that more and more we're seeing the influence that we don't communicate. You see, the word communicate is from the word commune. And it's an old English word that, that talks about the fact that you actually make a connection. You actually make an attachment with somebody that you, that you get joined with them and they get joined with you. And I believe if you were to ask me, Dave, what do you think is the number one thing that's driving marriages apart and hurting families, causing kids to be left alone and causing kids to get angry and leaving home and, you know, have the whole family just fracturing? I would say that the number one problem that probably at the base of all of that is, is the, what, the way that we fail to communicate. What we have here, we've all heard the expression, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And so we're going to go into the media room. We've been talking about the foundation. We started out talking about it, how we need to build our homes upon the covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel in the Old Testament, that Jesus makes with his church in the New Testament. We're trying to lay all that foundational stuff. We started out there. We talked about marriage being not about you, but about this glorious intimacy of a covenant promise that God had with us and that you have with God. We talked about the role of of the husband, and we talked about how the essence of our role as a husband is to love her wife like Christ loves the church, to love her just like part of her own body. We talk about how we need to be Christ-like leaders in our home, and we do that by the way we love, not just by the way that we give orders. We talked about the role of the wife and talked about how wives, even in the 21st century, need to realize that the Lord wants them to be a competent ally 
wants them to really be skillful. And the Bible's not demeaning of the power of a woman and what she can do, but, but the Bible's not condoning the tremendous conflict between the sexes. And it's not saying that as a church family that, that we should be breathing into that, that tremendous conflict. Instead, we need to learn how to get along. And a wife needs to learn that in that relationship, she's to be respectful and submissive. And we talked about that at the end of our message last week. This week, we're going to go up into the media room. We walk into the place where we're supposed to connect in. You know, like when I, when I, as soon as you mention the word communication, because that's what we're going to talk about today, communication. As soon as I tell you, well, we want to talk about communication, what's the organ of our body that we instantly think of? If we say, I'm going to teach you how to communicate, what would you expect? College course, communication. What would we expect you're going to hear about? The way that you use your, everybody tell me, the way that you use your mouth. In fact, you know, I, at Dallas Seminary, I've taught preachers how to preach. And somebody was asking me, like that yesterday, somebody was asking me, well, what do you do when you teach preachers how to preach? Well, you actually videotape them. And, and they were asking, well, what do they do that's so screwball-y? They do nutty things with their hands. You know, you'll have a guy suddenly go like this. You know, he's trying to choreograph everything. They do nutty things with their hands, and they also do some crazy things with their mouth. When you're going to teach someone how to preach, you're going to teach them how to use their mouth and how to get across a message with their body and their mouth. But I want you to realize that communication, real communication, and this is really hard for a New York-bred guy to tell you, the really heartbeat organ in communication are right here. In fact, God gave you two of these and one of these. And that's because if you're really going to learn to be a communicator, and so some of you say, well, I'm not married today, so I can check out. I don't have to worry about how husbands and wives communicate. If you'll listen today, it'll probably change your business career. So you all need to stay connected because God's wise. He knows where we are. And communication doesn't begin here, it begins right here. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18. Buried deep in the Old Testament, the very first thing I want to talk to you about today is that true connections begin with the ears, not the mouth. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. These Old Testament wise men that knew how to skillfully live said a whole lot about communication. It's one of their major things, what we do with our ears, what we do with our mouth. And you can study Proverbs, you can read a chapter every day, and that way you'll go through it once a month. And uh, you'll be amazed. In fact, you might want to take a piece of paper and say things about communication that I can learn from the book of Proverbs. And you'll just get incredible practical insights that will help you not only in your marriages, but help you in your jobs. One of the things that strikes me that the wise men is very strong on the way that we use our ears. It's a very short proverb. In fact, the writer really is talking about other things. And in Proverbs 18, he's kind of jumping from one topic to the next. So this is kind of like a nugget in the midst of some of the other principles he's teaching us. And it goes like this. He who answers before listening, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. The word that's used for folly is one of the strongest words that I can use in the Hebrew language for you are making an idiot of yourself. It's also a word, interesting enough, that has the idea of being calloused, that you're hardened, and, and that you don't receive things. In Proverbs, there's four classes of fool. One of them is an open-minded, naive fool that thinks they know it all. Another one is a person that's just kind of dull and uh, they just aren't into receiving. They don't want to listen, but they do hear you, but they don't respond to it well. Another one's a mocker, 
a guy that hears really well what you're saying, but they, they make all kinds of jokes about it. But the fourth class of fool, it's the word that's used here, is a word that means an impenetrable block. And this is the worst kind of foolishness when there's no way, like it's the person that's sitting here today that as we sing and as we pray and as we talk to you from the word of God, nothing happens. It just doesn't penetrate. You're like a, a steel cage and we just can't penetrate that. And that's, what the, that's the word that he used here. And he says that will bring you disgrace. If you don't listen to this first principle in your life, in your job, you're going to be disgraced. You'll probably get fired if you don't learn this principle. In your marriage, you'll lose one partner after another. You'll probably go through serial marriages because it, you'll be disgraced. Everybody will leave you. What is the principle that's so strong, that, 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 that he's so, you know, really emphasizing like that? And he says it's this. The one who answers before they listen, that is being impenetrable. It's being crazy and foolish and impenetrably crazy. And it's going to bring you disgrace. Now, why is that? Because our very first response to communication is we view communication like a boxing match. And I haven't done a lot of boxing. I've played a lot of football, a lot of basketball, a lot of baseball, and a lot of snowboarding, and you've heard me tell my nutty stories, and you're tired of all those things. My kids say, Dad, don't tell another story about barefoot water skiing. So, but you've, I, I really, I only boxed a tiny bit. When I was a kid in New Jersey, we used to, you know, just box kind of informally uh, with some of my friends. But in boxing, the idea, the emphasis in boxing is not on receiving. The idea when you're boxing is not to receive anything. You want to block what they're trying to give to you. And that's what you're doing. Like you're leading with your left hand, you're up, you try to keep your elbows in so you cover your midsection. And the whole point is you're, you're, everything is going, in fact, those of you that are into, into physical fitness, boxing is one of the most incredible things you can do to stay physically fit because you've got to dance all over the place and yet you're being hit so it puts a lot of pressure on your body that way. It, it's great conditioning. But boxing is about blocking and then it's about punching. And that's what makes it so much fun. You know, you get to actually really lambaste somebody. Now, that's the way a lot of us look at communication. Some of you husbands and wives, you are boxers. When you talk together, it's all about punching, punching. And some of you, you lead with your left hand. You get some good jabs with your left hand. And then, man, you come around with your right and you knock your partner out. And you go, hey, I won. That's what I, when you're boxing, that's the whole idea. When you knock the person down, that's awesome. That's not good marriage relationship. But a lot of you, that's how you view. All the communication in your marriage is like boxing. It's not about receiving anything. It's about blocking what they're trying to give you and then punching and really communicating and knocking them down. What the writer of Proverbs wants you to know today, it's one of the major things we want to teach today, the writer of Proverbs and the writer of James we're going to look at in just a minute believes that communication needs to not be like boxing, but I also ran in high school the, four, the mile relay. And back then, it was, they showed you how ancient I am, it was actually not the metric system, it was a literal you know, mile that we ran, 440s, 4440s. Now the thing in a, in a 440 relay is the guys are all fast one time around the track, but the big problem in a 440, in fact, the American track team really wrestled with this because we're faster than anyone in the world in mile relays and running the 400 meters in the modern way that we do it, like at the Olympic Games coming up. We do awesome. Nobody can touch us in going around the track once. And we have four guys and four girls that do that better than anyone else in the world. But you know what we can fail at? 
we failed to connect because when you're running a 440 relay, after you run, the first guy goes running around or the first girl goes running around, there's a major transition time. And what you need to do is they're reaching back like this and trying to get perfectly in sync with you. And you try to bring the baton and you got to bring it up into your hand. And guess what? If you fail to connect, the race is over. I mean, you can have a guy that, you know, the next three guys, they can run around without the baton. They can blaze. They can finish another whole lap ahead of the other team. But if you don't pass the baton, you lost. Communication is not about boxing. It's about running a relay. In fact, it's actually about running a relay, kind of like passing the torch in the Olympics, not just going around in circles, but it's actually about taking the torch and they're passing the Olympic torch from one runner to the next and eventually they're going to get to Athens. And I want you to think of your communication. A lot of you think of your communication like boxing. I want you to think of it like you're passing the torch and you're trying to get somewhere. And the beginning principle that will enable us to do that in all of our relationships, parents with kids, kids with parents, husbands with wives, is to learn that if you answer somebody before you listen to them, you're a fool. Why is that so? Because you don't understand what the other person is actually talking to you about. All of learning, all of communication begins not just with a talker, but there needs to be a listener. And you need to learn to separate those two things. You need to learn that in communication, we're going to have someone that's trying to pass the baton and someone that's trying to receive it. And what often happens to us is somebody gives us a trigger. Something happens. Like, it can happen to our kids. We, we find out from a teacher at school that, you know, that our kid, you know, forgot to do their homework assignment again. And, man, we jump right in there as a parent. We never ask our teenager, well, what happened? What was going on? We don't listen. We just jump in there, and we've got what we're going to do about it. And then we find out that there was a mistake. It wasn't our kid at all. And we say, well, I, um, that, that's good. I'm sure you've done that many times, but I didn't find out about it. So now you're punished for, for something that you didn't do. And that'll mean we're one ahead. That's the way we approach it. I've learned again and again and again. I make judgments. Last night, I did a wedding. I'm going to show you how this works. You answer before you listen. I did a wedding of Joel and, and Katie Fouché. Joel in charge of our young life. It's, this is how relationships work. As I'm doing the wedding, I notice off to my right, because you know, I'll tell you what I do during weddings, you know, I know pretty much how this ceremony's going to go. So I'm looking to see who's there, and that helps me when I communicate. So there's Dave and Daniel Lowry. They're there. But I look around, and Dave Lowry's not there. And I'm thinking, hey, you know, Joel Fouché is one of our main guys. I mean, he's trying to reach teenagers in our church. And, and Dave and I have worked together for 31 years. And, and the whole point is for us to be together. We want to encourage you all and stuff. And I say, man, Lowry stayed home, that stupid guy. I'm going to get on him. <laughs> we come to the reception right here at the church. They headed over to the Presbyterian church. We come here to the reception, and there at the table, I'm looking around. There's Deb, and there's Daniel, and, and, and they're all there. And I'm thinking in my head. And Deb said, you know, well, you, you, you know where Dave is. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know where he is. And I kind of lied a little bit. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. David was actually doing another wedding, which is one of the things that pastors do in this church, <laughs> which is part of our spiritual ministry. He was actually doing a wedding right over at Dan and Jeannie Bogham's house, and, and interesting enough, I knew that. 
because Dan had told me that that was going to happen. It was kind of a, a spur of the moment thing where a, another pastor wasn't able to do it. And David graciously chose. And I want you to think about it. Suppose that as a senior pastor, and David's my close friend too, that I lay into him. And I say, what about our priorities? Don't you know what's important around here? And that's what all of you do in communication a lot. And because we don't listen, all of a sudden, you know, Deb looked at me and said, you know, well, you know, David's, oh, you, know, you, you, you know, pray for David. You know, he's doing a wedding right now. That's where he is. I'm illustrating to you, that's what we do in our marriages. You see, I do that. And if some of you have been in pastor ministries in the past. And some of you have seen relationships blow apart. I've seen it happen again and again and again that I make judgments and I attack and I reject and I don't listen. And one of the very first things I want to nail down to you, and it could heal some of your marriages, some of you as husbands today need to decide, before I attack, I'm going to listen. I'm going to do that with my kids. I'm going to do that with my wife. I'm going to do that with my employees and those, my bosses. He who answers before they listen is a fool and will be disgraced. A wise person learns that communication begins with their ears. Those of you that are studying, some of you have a lot of hard time that you don't have to pay for this, but it will really help you with your studies. Studying is about listening. I mentioned Dave. Dave and I have spent years and years and years of our life studying. Where does studying begin? It's learning to listen to books. It's learning to listen to what a book is saying. It's learning to listen to what teachers are saying. It's learning to be actually there, wide awake, paying attention. Your mind works more than not, sometimes 10 to 100 times faster than someone can talk. So it's learning to get that mind asking questions. What are they saying? Why did they say that? What, you know, where are we going with this? The mind is very active during listening, not just there, oh yeah, like that. And I would be willing to guarantee you that almost all of your, your, your husbands have heard, honey, you're not listening to me. How many of your husbands ever heard that? It's one of the biggest complaints that I hear. Honey, you're not listening to me. Because what I do in my marriage is, man, you know, I feel like I've been listening to people all day long. Now is my time. When I walk out of my study, I'm done listening. I've been working. That's what I do. And I don't need to listen to Mary anymore. So then one of the first things that I need to be convicted about and that the, what I, the Lord's working in my heart is I've got two ears and one mouth. My staff, I've shared with you earlier, my staff did an evaluation. Man, they, you know, they and it was a good evaluation. And they, they relatively wanted me to stay around a little bit. But I noticed some of the comments. You know, he's a great communicator with his mouth. Not nearly as strong with his ears. And that's something you can pray for me about. I'm actually working on that with you. One of the most ugly things is a preacher during the week that preaches. And it's a joke. How many of you have ever known? You, t- you ask a preacher a question, you get a 40-minute sermon. <laughs> How many of you have ever met a preacher that says, what about this? Tell me more about it. That's an interesting point. Is this what you meant to say? What about this area over here? Why don't you tell me about that? You see, if you come here and I get to just let my mouth roll you know, for several hours. But what the Lord needs to teach me in communication is for me to really know what I'm talking about Sunday morning. I need to listen to him with my two ears during the week. And I need to listen to you during the week.
I need to let you talk to me. I need to let you express what's going on. Otherwise, I'm like a fool, because, and I'll shame myself, because I'll answer before I listen. So communication begins with our ears. Now, the, the Lord's brother loved Proverbs. If you turn to the book of James, the writer of James picks up on this principle that we have two ears and one mouth, and the writer of James picks up and talks about the order in our communication. And what we do is, in in a lot of our communication, because we do look upon it like a boxing match, what we do is we get angry. That's the very first thing we do. Mary says something that I disagree with. I just don't believe it, think it's wrong. My very first response is to get angry. After I, and, and I split when I get angry, I withdraw. So after I withdraw and kind of cool down a little bit, then my next response is to lecture Mary about why he was angry. I use my mouth next. I get angry first. So I don't really use my fists, but I use my fists with soft pads on them. I leave. The next thing I do is lecture Mary. And then finally, the last thing I do is then I listen. How many of you have found, if you just think about your own human relationships, what do you do in your relationships? How many of you begin with anger, move to speech, and then finally you get onto your ears? Now look at what James says. James, he says, my dear brother, James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life or the righteousness that God desires. We need to pray for our families today because in our families we are beginning with anger, There's tremendous hostility in marriages today. Tremendous hostility and frustration and irritability. And it's because we begin with anger, then we lash out. We say a bunch of things. We curse. We hit below the belt. And then the final thing we do after we've kind of calmed down a little bit, sometimes days later, then we try to listen. I want to ask you, what do you do in human relationships? Are you someone that, 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 as you sit here today, you're a boxer. You don't listen. You want to hit. You, what you listen, if you do listen, you listen for how you can block their punch and then knock their block off. I want you to ask yourself, what's going on inside of you? And the Lord Jesus says, I want you to, I want you to confess all that, that hatred, all that insecurity, because that's what it is. That's what makes you have to hit so quick because you're not safe. You don't feel secure. And because of what Jesus has done for you, there's no real eternal reason for you to be so uptight. Relax. Because that's what's going to enable you to reverse this order. We need to get really convicted about this. James is saying that our hostility, our anger, the way that we attack people is not going to build righteousness in their life. Mary doesn't need me lecturing her. Mary doesn't need me getting angry with her and fighting her. Because the more that I do that, the more insecure she feels and the more left out in the cold she feels, the less we have relationship. She needs just the opposite. She needs me to listen to her. She needs me then when I, to, to communicate that I, I do understand what you're saying because I really have listened. And then we can at least fight from understanding. We actually know what each other are saying. That's what I want you to learn to do. We need to get really convicted about this. It's a very big change in order. The natural way, without Jesus in your life, your natural way of communicating is to get angry first, to lash out, 
and then much later to listen. The Lord Jesus wants you to become wise people in your marriages, in your relationships, with your kids. He wants you to begin with your ears, just like Proverbs taught us, that we listen before we speak. We listen really hard. We ask questions. Listening is an active thing where you ask questions about what the other person's saying. A lot of you, like I talked about reading books, a lot of you just read books to find out what you disagree with. You never listen to what the author's saying. You're just looking through the running to find out stuff that doesn't quite line up with you. You never understand what the person's saying. You're not a good listener. It'll mean you're a terrible student. The same thing happened in your marriage. Same thing happened between kids and parents. We got to begin by listening and opening ourselves up. We got to receive the baton from them. That's what I'm talking about this morning. And you do that by, by relaxing a little bit, backing off. You don't have to, you know, this isn't the Arab-Israeli conflict, everything we talk about. It's what the writer of James is telling us. Now, what the writer of James is telling us is that our tongue is really powerful. In chapter 3, he uses some powerful illustration that you've all heard sermons about. He develops this idea of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slowing everything down, And then, if there's a legitimate reason, like, you should get angry when little girls are molested. You should get furious about it and get courts that deal with the righteousness. You should get angry about abortion. You should, there's things you should really be upset about. You should be upset that an American got their head cut off. And you should know the difference between guys that just lop your head off and a stupid military people in a prison that are acting like college students on, a, on an A&M, you know, ha, you know, hassling time or a Texas Tech or Texas University. I'll get them all in. Hassling time. <laughs> you should get angry. There's a difference between cutting a person's head off and stripping somebody naked and laughing at them. They're both evil, but they're not the same degree. Amen? Amen. Very important to understand that. In order, so there's things you should really get angry about in a holy sense. But you don't want to, you don't want everything to go to that level. And in order to know what you need to get angry with, you need to slow things down. You listen. A wise person is slow to communicate, which is hard for a Yankee to say. They don't just gush out. They don't just bubble with their mouth. They listen. They hold it back. They control it. And then there's legitimate things. The book of James has some legitimate things on righteousness and rejecting the seed that's been planted in us. Some things we should really get angry about. But in chapter 3, he comes back to this point, this point and I, back to this idea of the power of our communication. In chapter 3, he begins to talk to us about our tongues. He says, now many of you should not presume to be teachers, my brothers. What he's saying is that, we don't, that, that, that being a teacher has a lot of responsibility. We don't want to just have everybody you know, doing what I'm doing this morning. We need to be sure that we, that we have those that are gifted by the Spirit. That's James' immediate idea, that we need to be sure that we have wise fathers that teach us, that really know God's Word. Because the one that teaches will be judged more strictly. It's not, it, what it's saying is that I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm going to have to really give an account for what I'm teaching this morning. So we want to be really careful about those that we listen to that are teaching us with their mouth and that we're receiving what they're saying. He says, for we all stumble. In other words, the tongue is something that we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a mature man. That's what perfect means. Able to keep his whole body in check. So what the scripture is saying is if you want a barometer on where you are spiritually, it's what you do with your tongue. It's not whether you have a degree. It's not whether or not you're successful, make a lot of money. If you want to know how you're growing in the Lord, it's the way that you use your tongue and do you control it. 
And then he uses these powerful illustrations. He starts out using an illustration about training horses. He talks, we put little bits in a horse's mouth to make them obey us, and we can turn this great animal around. He's saying the tongue is like a little bitty uh, bit that's in, the, in our mouth, but it steers the direction of our life. That's the idea. The second illustration is very similar. Or we can take a ship, for an example, this great big, huge, several-ton ship. It's driven by strong wind, but there's a little rudder that controlled its direction. Both of these have to do with your tongue is determining the direction of your marriage, the direction of your business, the direction of your life, the direction of your relationships. What you do with this little bitty organ that's there, you know, connected to your, you know, the mouth that you move, that you move around and wiggle like I'm doing right now, that is this little bitty organ in your body, but it sets the direction of your whole life. So you need to take it really seriously. That's what his illustrations are. And then he talks about the destructive, like a, a bit in a horse's mouth is a positive thing. It gives you control over this fabulous cutting horse. And a, and a good cutting horse is, is just instantly responsive to the slightest pressure. You know, slightest pressures, and they're responding to you. And the big beast, you know, moves and, and almost like dancing. A ship, like when I'm driving a speedboat, this little rudder in the back. I've actually been driving like 45 or 50 and had the rudder drop off. You know, man, it's disaster. You lose direction. Very powerful illustration. This great big powerful century speedboat. Man, the rudder's off. No direction at all. It's off. It's terrible when a tongue is, is disconnected and we, we, don't, we don't have any direction. The next thing talks about that negative thing. It talks about you light a match like a pyromaniac lights a match and all of Colorado starts to go up in smoke. What you do with your marriage, the little things that you say in your marriage, if you don't listen to what I'm talking about today, you will say things that, like, as a husband, you'll say things to your wife, things that you cannot say. There are things that you cannot say in a relationship. And when you say them, it's out of the back. And Satan's constantly trying to get you to do that and to get me to do that. And what I want you to realize is James is telling you, your tongue is like a forest fire. You need to be really careful with fire. And you keep a control over it. You don't just light matches and throw them around. Little children in the room, you've got to teach them not to do that. It's very destructive. We've got a ton of firemen in our church that are going to risk their lives. A bunch of you right here in this room will, will risk your life this week because some idiot doesn't pay attention to the power of flame. The writer of James is saying we need to be really careful what we do with our tongue. Now, psychologists have found that there's four basic things that we do when we're using our tongue negatively and what, when we're failing, and it fits right in with what the Word of God is telling us. In fact, John Gottman, that teaches at the University of Washington, is actually, and I've shared with him some of his research I've shared with you in the past, he's literally filmed couples like you in hundreds of hours of communication. And they take couples before they get married and then after they get married and every five-year sequences and they, they analyze frame by frame everything you do. And they found out that the way that a couple handles conflict, because a lot of you communicate awesome in a, in a lot of different ways. You're doing great. It's when you get in conflict that you're in trouble. And he said that there's four things that we need to watch out for when we're in conflict. It's like ordinarily communication goes great. You want to eat at McDonald's, you want to eat at Whataburger, who cares, and everything's smooth. You know, do you think we should go to that movie or that movie? No big deal. But it's when you get into that conflict in your marriage, your husband believes this and thinks this, and the wife believes this and thinks this, and it can be over little tiny things. 
and then you start boxing, what happens, what makes the boxing match unfair? What makes it go and become boxing instead of passing the baton? It's when you do these four things. Number one is withdrawing. And a whole lot of you, whenever someone crosses you, when they disagree with you, instead of listening, instead of opening your ears, your first response is you got to get out of there. And it goes like this. You know, you start a fight, and the first response is, I'm out of here. I don't want to do that. You know, we're just not going to talk about it right now. Now, sometimes a person's saying, honey, I had a terrible day at work. I'm really stressed out. We cannot talk about it right now. And they're saying, we'll talk about it in about an hour. Let me relax a little bit so I get things together inside, and then we'll talk. Now, that's different, and that's a wise thing to do. So that you have control of your body. But a whole lot of you, whenever we cross you, whenever there's a disagreement, whenever there's this issue and that issue, and we're at odds, and you husband and wife, you do this, one of you says, don't want to talk about it. Don't want to talk about it. In fact, as husbands, and, and I, I don't like to make generalizations, but the generalization is because cause you as an individual might be different. But as men, that's what we often do. That's what, the, that's what the research shows. It says, men, our big thing in conflict is, don't want to talk about it. And we do it a million different ways. We, we, we leave. We go play golf. We fail to show up at home. We get home late. We do all kinds of things, but we're withdrawing. If you're withdrawing this morning, you need to ask yourself, what am I angry about? What's the reason for my anger? Why am I fighting? And you need to open up your ears and, and open up and receive. I need to be able to hear what's going on. And when you're withdrawing, you're not. You're in your camp and you're develop, you're marshalling your troops. You're getting ready for your grenades to, to cast into the relationship. So be really careful about withdrawing. Second of all, escalating. You have a talk, you know, you know, your wife burns the eggs and you go, you know, you always burn these eggs. And the one thing I want in a relationship is a woman that could at least make scrambled eggs. And, you know, I just can't believe you can't make strangled eggs. You know, you're going to get divorce papers tomorrow. I'm going to go see my lawyer and we're going to be out of here. I knew that you'd be an idiot at cooking and I knew you couldn't be a good wife. Our marriage is over. That's escalation. I mean, is burning scrambled eggs really equal to just kicking your marriage right in the, in the weak part of the body and destroying the whole thing? But that's what a ton of you do. Every fight you have in a modern marriage is over whether or not you're going to get divorced or not. And that's escalation. And, a whole, and if you, those of you that are in second marriages and third marriages, you do it really quick. And I want to share with you, that needs to be... There's rules. There are rules. For example, like, you know, I've shared with you about flying. When you're flying, there are rules. Don't go below stall airspeed. I mean, it's like they drill it in you, drill it in you. When you're landing a tail dragger, when everything goes to pot, when you're landing, the rule is don't put the stick forward. Slam the stick all the way into your gut as far as you can. Suck in your stomach and put that stick all the way back. Because if you don't, the plane's going to be damaged, and so are you. And you don't want either one of those things to happen. It's a rule. You just don't go there. It's, like, it's just like when you're driving. The rule is don't cross the double line. Our double line in our marriages needs to be, we never call into question our covenant promise. We never do that. 
And a ton of you go on that holy, sacred ground. Joel, last night in a church, he gave personal vows to Katie. At the end of his personal vow, he told her beautifully how much he loved her, how she had won his heart, how she was the woman of his dreams, how he would love her like Christ loved the church. And he ended his marriage vow. He says, and Katie, I will never, never, never divorce you. And the place applauded. And brothers and sisters, in our church family, we have got to understand. The United States Marine doesn't get angry and says, I can't believe I made that vow to the United States of America. I'm out of here. I don't like you, Sergeant. I don't believe in that vow I made. I'm leaving. You get court-martialed for that. A United, I've never met a United States Marine that every argument you get in with me says, oh, I just can't believe I made that vow to the United States of America. That's crazy. That's stupid. I'm going to go see a lawyer and get out of the Marines. And that's what we do in our marriage. And you're commitment to the United States Constitution as a Marine is nothing compared to your commitment to the Holy God to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church and stop as husband and wife escalating and going on holy ground. Little children, you know what I've read this week? The research today, even in homes where the marriages don't break up, and I'm, even in our, in our own home, Mary and I, it's never been an issue. Never been an issue that we were going to leave. Yeah, we thought about it, but it wasn't something we ever talked about with the kids. I mean, it was nailed down with our kids. We're going to be in here. Janae tells us about when she was a little girl, all of her friends are getting divorced. Whenever Mary and I had any disagreement, it could be the slightest thing, she automatically would jump. And all your kids do that. Because our kids, I remember them coming home and saying, well, this person was divorced, this person was divorced. We're the weird guys in class because we haven't been divorced. Brothers and sisters, can we turn this around? What a joy it was. I, I was ready to go up and hug Joel when he said that. My generation did stupid things. We gave you great music. Peter, Paul, and Mary are awesome. And I can go on and on. We gave you your music is, with a lot more rhythm. You're playing the same music we played. It's great. We gave you great sounds. We gave you horrible ethics about marriages. We gave you horrible commitments to promises. We said your promises mean nothing. Just do what you want to do. Can we turn that around? Yes, we can. And I believe it's beginning to happen. I, that's my dream for the church family. I want to be able to see God's Holy Spirit because this. We never, never escalate arguments that threaten our covenant promise. Well, some of you make that commitment today. In a fight, I will never, never, never. It is holy ground. I never go to my sacred marriage vow. Never. Never. We can fight really hard, but we'll never, never, never call into question our commitment to one another for the good of the babies. If you hate each other's guts, I would appeal to you for the sake of little tiny children that came out of your wombs and came from your loins and your body. Don't go there. Live together. Stay together. Because that's holy ground so the kids can be saved. Negating. Is every single thing wrong in an argument? Every time you're in an argument, do you always come back with, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong, no, that's wrong? Do you ever say in an argument, that's a good point? You don't do that in boxing. I never go, oh, that was a, boy, that was a great punch. <laughs> but when you pass the baton, one of the things you'll yell at your partner, you gotta go! That's what you do when you're running, when you blast around, you're out of breath, you get the last ounce of breath you have and you pass the baton and you go, man, you got to go for it, we can win. 
Negating is when you blast the person, you never receive anything. You can turn it around. The final thing is the worst thing of all. It's you invalidate. In other words, it's when your husband, you've been away at work, wives, you've, you've done everything, you know, at a special convention at work, you come home, your husband cleaned the bathrooms with that green formula that smells yucky. And he has vacuumed every part of the house, and the house is immaculate. He even changed the sheets. And man, you know, everything is immaculate. He has flowers for you. You walk in the house and go, there's some of Willie's hair right there. I can't believe some of Willie's white hair is right. Mary did not do that. But that's invalidation. When you're mean, when you're hurtful, you invalidate everybody around you. And that will destroy your communication. And you'll become an isolated person. And psychologists have found what they do in communication, they watch. They take you frame by frame. They can watch you for three minutes in a fight and say, they withdrew, he's withdrawing. Look at his facial expression. He's, she's escalating. Look at him negate. Wow, you see that invalidation? In a three-minute period, we've got about five bad strikes. The marriage is in trouble. Probably has about a year and a half. They'll predict that with over 90% accuracy. We close this. You can turn around. This chapter closes with a wisdom from above, and it says this. It says in verse 17, the wisdom from above. I come back to these verses again and again in my life. I ask myself constantly, as a husband, as a daddy, as a pastor teacher, I say, but the wisdom from above. Dave, are you pure? If you're harboring sin in your life, purity means that you're clean, that you're connected with Jesus. You're keeping short accounts with him. I ask myself, Dave, are you pure? A lot of your fights come because you're not pure. As a husband, if you're looking at a secretary and you're not a one-woman man, you will withdraw, you will escalate, you will negate, and you will invalidate. Woman, precious wife, if you are beginning to love even another woman as a friend and you're devoting all your time to her and you're not spending any time with your partner and he's, a, he's 180 to 360, he's different from you and you're not walking in his life, you're living in your own woman's world and you're not pure, if you're reading novels that talk to you about things that are totally alien to the scripture and you just drink that in and you're not pure, you're going to do what I've been sharing. You're going to withdraw, you're going to escalate, you're going to negate, you're going to invalidate. A lot of our marriage problems begin with one old-fashioned word, it's called sin. And nobody wants to say it. We explain it, we give all kinds of insights. If I am harboring iniquity in my heart... I become distant from my precious wife, just like that. And I have to get down on my knees and say, oh, Jesus, cleanse my heart, oh, God. Renew a right spirit. The wisdom from above begins with that kind of purity. It's peace-loving. It doesn't harbor a fight. It loves to solve problems. It's considerate. It's willing to, to give a little bit. It says in a conversation, you know, that's a good point. That's right. That, that, that's true. I was wrong about that. Do you, when you communicate with somebody else, do you ever get those words out? You're right. That is a good point. I never look at it that way. Tell me more about that. You know, I, I, that's the right direction. I see here I was wrong. That's what this word means. Submissive is related to that. You're willing in your listening process to put yourself under the other person and open yourself to them. Full of mercy. You know what that is. It means that you forgive. In your marriage fight, you don't go. 
man, on our honeymoon, you did this. A year and a half into our marriage, you did this. You did that to the kids. You did that every fight you had. You review your whole list of covenant failures. That's not merciful. Does Jesus do that with you? Some of you had terrible pasts. Some of you lived way away from the Lord. Does Jesus ever come to you and says, hey, don't ever forget, you're my kid, but you're really, you're, you're blotted. You are ink-stained, man. You lived a terrible life, and I'm not going to ever let you forget it. Is that what Jesus does for you? What does Jesus do for you? Jesus says, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. I placed your sins as far as the east from the west. Mercy does that in our relationship. It doesn't, it doesn't let me say, well, Mary, you used to be like this, and you said that. He says, no. The Lord says, no, it's, it's mercy. Even if she hurts me, I have to open my heart and be merciful and forgiving, just the way Jesus is to me. The wisdom from above is merciful, and it produces good fruit. It's impartial, sincere peacemakers who sow the seed. Cure free from moral and spiritual defects. Peacemaking seeks to bring togetherness, not separation. Gentle, takes a non-combative stance. Submissive, easily persuaded, compliant, open-minded, willing to yield. Reasonable, open to reason. Merciful, willing to forgive. Impartial, willing to set aside bias and understand another point of view. And sincere, generally desiring to find a solution. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to work in Melothian Bible Church and change our family life that we really start to commune together. We really start to connect. And I want it to begin and grow and prosper. Let's pray. As I share with you about weaning in a relationship, withdrawing, escalating, negating, and invalidating, maybe you thought of a specific time when you did that. Will you put that under the blood? Will you open your heart before the Savior and let Jesus cleanse that and forgive it? You see, none of us can control our tongue. That's, that's, you're not going to be able to control what you do with your tongue. You've got to control your heart. You need to change your heart. You need to change the spring, change the fountain. And that's what Jesus can do. So who's at the core of your being this morning? Is self at the core of your being? If that's true, the way to know that, you're going to see bitterness. You're going to see anger. You're going to see all those negative things in communication, bullying, boxing. Or do you see a gentle, peaceful spirit? Some of you say, well, Dave, we are so hostile toward one another. We are just existing in one another's homes. And we hate each other. It's escalated to that point. Jesus can change your core. That's what he wants to do. He's a resurrected Savior that wants to give you resurrection power. He's going to strip you naked. Maybe this morning the Lord Jesus has talked to you about that you need to take your boxing gloves off. You need to change your whole uniform and your relationship and your families and stop putting on those gloves. Instead, you need to put on a track uniform. You need to start thinking about in your communication passing a baton. And Lord Jesus, I want to pray that by your Holy Spirit's grace that you would powerfully move like that I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to surrender all. And I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that we will truly believe that the Holy Spirit can change us. And it's going to enter that the Holy Spirit can get in control of our tongues, that he can get in control of our ears, that he can open up the core of our being. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.